Hello and welcome to The Consistency Project with E.C. Sinkowski. My name is Patrick Cummings, and every episode, I have the privilege of having a discussion with E.C. on subject matters that range from nutrition to fitness to the choices we can all make to live a healthier, more functional life. By exploring both the principles at play and the actions worth carrying out as a result, it is our goal to get you thinking, get you moving, and get you taking more consistent steps toward optimizing your well-being. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hello, and how are you, E.C.? I'm good. I'm good. What's up with you? Oh, life is wonderful. Life is good. We are going to talk about the relationship between lifespan and health span, which I'm Mm -hmm. very interested to hear your take on. So where to begin? Where do you want to start? What do we need to know so we can get into this? Yeah, I don't actually know what I was looking up. This often happens. <laughs> this happens, oh, like it happens to me too. Episode. I'm just scrolling through PubMed and something. <laughs> no, it doesn't happen to me. But go ahead. I don't know what I was looking up. But anyway, I was looking up something. I saw this article. And it came out last year in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science Journal, which is one of the most well-known and respected journals. And the title was The Active Grandparent Hypothesis, Physical mm. Activity and the Evolution of Extended Human Health Spans and Lifespans. And so it caught my attention because I'm not familiar with the active grandparent hypothesis. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> so was thinking, okay, what the heck is that? And then I know we have a fitness-minded mindset. So I was also sort of interested in this. They're also interested in kind of long-term health and longevity in addition to their fitness. So I just thought this would be an interesting article. So the link's in the show notes, yep. lead authors, Lieberman. <clears throat> and basically this podcast is reviewing their hypothesis of why human have these lifespans that are much longer than their reproductive years and mm-hmm. why potentially it's physical activity that's necessary for that to occur. And I think it's just a great argument for why exercise can be really health protective and maybe the best strategy we've got to prevent chronic disease, maybe even mm. more so than nutrition, which is somewhat mm. of a tough pill to swallow as a nutritionist. <laughs> and sort of the age old debate, right? Of, right. of what's oh, totally. gonna, what, what do you need more of, which of course, totally. answers both. but okay. So said so at the top, this is going to be kind of a conversation about lifespan and health span. Yeah. Why don't those words mean the same thing? What do each one of them mean? Let's maybe define some terms so that we know what you mean when you say each one of them. Yeah. So lifespan would be how many years you live. Mm-hmm. Health span is how many of those years you're free of disease. So health span really speaks more to quality of life. Mm-hmm. Now, pre-industrialization, those are going to be pretty close in relationship. You yeah. know, health span and lifespan are almost going to be the same thing. It's only with industrialization and modern medicine that there's this mismatch between the two. Like modern medicine is amazing and it's able to prolong life even when disease is present. So now we potentially can expand, extend lifespan without expanding extending health span. And mm-hmm. so the problem is this disparity. Do you want to live for 20 years without the quality of life to live on your own, to travel, play with the grandkids, all of that stuff. I, I think it's also worth it to point out that grandparents were certainly a thing pre-industrialization <laughs> <laughs> because I think there's this belief that our life expectancy is so much greater now and it is on average, but that is pretty much because of a much higher infant and child mortality rate. Mm. That was kind of pulling down the overall average. And so this paper mentions that pre-industrialization health and lifespan, which again, there's no real point in distinguishing them until after industrialization, was routinely into 70 years old plus. And that these extended human lifespans were common by 40,000 years ago. And now as a comparison, the expectancy today in the U.S. is 78. So there's not this huge difference in what potentially was the average then and potentially the average now. Mm-hmm. The main difference is that those 
pre-industrialization are relatively free of chronic disease, which of course is not true of what we know today of people in their 70s. And, you know, modern life in medicine has improved many things. I've said this before. I think we're going to be hard pressed to find someone who really wants to go back into like 10,000 years ago to live. (laughs) (laughs) But we have developed this disparity between health span and lifespan, which is certainly one of the negatives of modern life. Got it. Okay. So I assume the better match between health span and lifespan is related to this, which I love the the term, the active grandparent hypothesis. Well, it's very well branded. What does that mean and why does it matter? Yeah. I mean, from an evolution perspective, it's odd that humans live past their reproductive years. Cause like from a classic evolution <laughs> perspective, <laughs> right. yep, totally. it's all about offspring, like pass your genes yep. on. And it sounds really callous, but like if you're not able to reproduce, why are you useful? <laughs> At least Go away. Kind of, I know. Classic. You're, you're done. You know, you're done. Yeah, yeah. And so even before, again, this advent of modern medicine, we have these post-reproductive reproductive decades. And it's like, why? And so this is the active grandparent hypothesis, that active grandparents can and could help forage, collect food and nutrients to provide that to their children and their grandchildren. So while the mother is watching the children, while the father is out hunting, you know, the grandparents are taking the burden of getting this additional food via foraging for the family. And so some of this hypothesis is based on this non-industrial culture like the Hadza, which is they're in northern Tanzania. They're one of the last hunter-gatherer tribes. And we have reasons to believe that traditions that we see them do today are very close to what would have been there historically. And the paper suggests that the post-reproductive women, i.e. grandmothers of the Hadza mm-hmm. tribe, forage for average an average of six hours a day, which mm. is 20% more than the younger mothers who are, of course, attending the children. And, and I think that's just sort of insane to think about. I mean, like foraging is basically like, you know, yard work on steroids, right? <laughs> or farming, yep, right? Yep, it, yep. You know, what percentage of 60 and 70 year olds in the U.S. do we know that would hang with six hours <laughs> a day of manual labor? I mean, I'm not even sure I could hang, right? <laughs> it's sort of an, it, incredible to think about. So this hypothesis is that we evolved to have a greater lifespan, again, assumed really to be health span because it needs to be functional to enhance yep. the survival of the younger generations. Fascinating. Okay, so obviously they have to be active you can't you can't forage <laughs> passively, right? <laughs> At least, right. Uh, maybe there's a way, but okay. So, but you mentioned that exercise is, is protective of health, right? So, how would the foraging then, or how does the foraging protect health span? Totally. Yeah, they give a couple different hypotheses for this. I want to spend more time on the second, but that one is that exercise allocates energy to repair and maintenance processes which are ultimately needed to prevent disease. Besides the caloric cost of exercise directly, exercise is a stress that can damage cells and tissues that require repair. I mean, we get micro cracks in our bones, we get muscle fiber tears. These rebuild and how we develop greater bone density. That's how we have larger muscles, all the stuff that that we want. Mm -hmm. And so what you can think about is exercise is the training. It's like the training for the tissue to be stronger. But in this process of exercise, there's also going to be protein and DNA damage. We talked about this a bit in the Exercise as an Anti-Inflammatory podcast, but proteins, DNA, they're damaged each day in the normal process of creating energy. So when we create energy, whether or not we're going to do more pull-ups or whether or not we're going to 
have a heartbeat, <laughs> there's these molecules <laughs> called free radicals that are produced. And these mm -hmm. free radicals can damage proteins, DNA, all that stuff. And so exercise requires more energy than just sitting around. So more of these damaging molecules will be created during exercise than, you know, typing away at the computer or whatever. Yet we know the overall effect of exercise is beneficial, despite the fact that there's going to be more of these damaging molecules around. Why? Well, when the damage occurs, that triggers DNA repair pathways that triggers us to have better natural antioxidant methods, which are basically going to help negate these free radicals. It's going to help cell cleanup, which people know is cell autophagy. It's not just related mm -hmm. to fasting. It's happening all the time, getting rid of broken or dysfunctional cells. There are other things like exercise could induce acute hypoxia, lack of oxygen. And so Ultimately, the body's response to that is like, wow, we didn't have enough blood flow there. Let's go ahead and form new blood vessels. So that would improve cardiac output. There could be increased exposure to airborne pathogens. Maybe while you're running, you're respirating faster, right? This can trigger the immune system to increase the presence of immune cells. And so again, you can think about exercise as almost these intermittent short-term damaging exposures that train the body to repair and recover. It trains the body to build back better in terms of the musculature, which we know, but it's also happening at the this kind of cellular tissue repair level that we might not think about as much. It's better repair mechanisms that ultimately lead to less disease. Is that uh, kind of what I'm hearing, what I'm getting? Yeah. Yeah. And they, they go through this in terms of kind of our two most common causes of death, cardiovascular disease and cancer. They, they mm -hmm. combined account for almost half the deaths in the U S but you know, again, exercise stresses the heart, it also stresses blood pressure, which, yes, causes micro damage in, let's say, the blood vessels. This then triggers the response that, hey, we need to maintain these blood vessel walls. We need to grow and repair them. That would otherwise not happen. Like if the person doesn't exercise, that sort of stimulus is not there for those growth and repair mechanisms to take place. And yep. so then, you know, potentially we grow additional blood vessels that can help lower blood pressure because you have more places for the blood to go. Stress in the heart can cause some favorable remodeling of the heart muscle. Now, how is this stress though different than disease stress? Because high blood pressure in the sense of disease can also be damaging the blood vessels in the same way. And so it, it kind of can be confusing of like, well, why does this not work in disease? Mm. Think about it as like the exercise is this pulsatile you know, stimulus where disease is yep. constant. There, there's no Got time it. for repair and recovery when you have constant high blood pressure. When you have high blood pressure for 30 minutes in a workout, then it comes back down. Now you have time for the body to regenerate, right? In Got the it. case of cancer, cancer is the result of DNA damage. Again, DNA damage can result from this free radical production, which happens with exercise. In response to that increase in free radicals, the body also increases its antioxidant production, which I mentioned. Exercise also triggers anti-inflammatory compounds from muscles to help stimulate DNA repair mechanisms. These are all good things in terms of cancer prevention. And so potentially, even though we have more of these damaging molecules around, their damage cannot actually happen because we've built up the protective mechanisms to basically neutralize them. And so there's this incredible statistic from the paper that three to four hours of moderate exercise per week reduces the risk of breast cancer by 30 to 40% in women, and the mm. risk of colon cancer by 40 to 50% in men and women. And of course, I always want to put the caveat there that cancer risk will never be zero and in part because yep. they're not all preventative as we went through before, but, but certainly in the sense of trying to optimize health that we hear and talk about all the time, minimize risk, exercise is certainly up there. It, it allows the body to build stronger structures. It allows the body to have a better preventative defense mechanism. Hmm. 
Fascinating. So what's maybe the, the big takeaway from this other than maybe that we all need to be foraging for four to six hours a day? Yeah, I know. When I was thinking about this, I was like, heck with the 800 gram challenge. I'm starting a new company. <laughs> We're just foraging. <laughs> I'm just recommending foraging. <laughs> six hours, six hours of foraging. Six hours. Forage for six. Yeah. Here we go. It's the new, it's the new 800 gram challenge. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think this is the stuff with this. When we, when we hear these new studies or these ideas, and I love this hypothesis, we get a little bit turned around and we start to idealize in this case, maybe pre-industrial living, you know, it's like, well, no more modern medicine and everything that we do now today is terrible. And instead it's like, okay, well, let's just take the good from both cultures. And I I think some of our creature comforts are great, but we've swung maybe a little too far in the lack of exercise (laughs) component. Right. And so that's what we want to take from the past that we don't need to forage. We don't need to go off the grid, but perhaps we need to increase the exercise. And there's this really well-cited paper by Paffenarger. I'm going to get that wrong in the show notes. It's from 1986. They took 17,000 alumni from Harvard and looked at them in terms of their lifestyle and calculated their risk of death relative to how much exercise they did. And they broke down the exercise that people were doing into different buckets. The lowest group would burn less than 500 calories per week in exercise. And no surprise, the lowest risk of death occurred at the highest exercise group. So more than 2000 mm-hmm. calories per week. And not only that, tying this to like exercise is the prevention for chronic disease idea. They also divided the study participants into age groupings. So like what happened to the 70 to 84 year olds, what happened to the 60 to 69, 50 to 50, you get the idea. The mm-hmm. greatest reduction in mortality risk happened at the highest age grouping. So mm. in the 70 to 84 year olds, they have their risk of death by working out the most, again, judged mm. as 2000 calories plus per week. And, yep. and the risk decreased across the age group. So again, it was more beneficial as you got older to keep your exercise high, i.e. it's suggesting that, yes, it's preventing against some of this chronic disease, right? Now, what the heck is 2,000 calories per week in terms of burning for exercise, right? And trying to make (laughs) this kind of more practical. Walking on average can burn somewhere in the, walking for an hour on average can burn somewhere in the neighborhood of 300 calories. So, of course, depends on your pace, your size, uphill, flat, what all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're talking about here like walking an hour a day, most days of the week is probably going to get you there. This is where that 10,000 steps per day is a pretty good goal in the sense of overall volume. Generally, that's, that's a little over an hour for most people because it's about five miles. And so this is where we see really that lower risk of mortality. It's, it's not foraging for six hours, <laughs> but it perhaps is a, is a good idea or goal for people to shoot for. Mm, just as that, as the example, 10,000 steps. Do any sense the 20,000 steps a week is better, is more better? Is this one of those cases that right. the, there's, there's, a, there's a lower limit, but there isn't an upper? You know, that same paper, I guess it's Pfaffenberger, they found that the risk continued to decrease the more exercise people did until they got to this cut point of 3,500 calories burned per week. Mm. So once okay. they got to 3,500 calories per week, the risk reduction reversed and actually started to become more risky to exercise more. Now it didn't mm. like jump back up to... to to being equal of no exercise or anything like that, but it did sort of reverse. And, and they just sort of said, maybe it's just people are overestimating. Maybe it's just some error in the data. You know, they didn't really have a great reason for that or reason to believe that it all of a sudden got very, very risky at that point. Right, right. We, we do know there is going to be a point at which there's too much volume. I think we talked about overtraining in the measuring recovery podcast. Overtraining is going to happen at some point. Overtraining can result in a weakened immune system. So there is going to be a point at which there's too much, but I I think for most people 
I don't want to say that I encourage the more is better idea because I, I don't know that that's really necessary, <laughs> but I, I do yeah. want to stress that I don't think most people are doing too much. You know, I, I think it reminds me of that performance versus longevity podcast that we talked about. You know, I think there's this accepted notion that high level athletes are harming themselves. They're doing too much volume. Yet when we look at studies of Olympic level athletes, both power and endurance sports, as we said there, they had a lower risk of mortality than non-athletes. And, and yeah, and it probably is related to some of their other lifestyle factors. Like they probably eat better, keep a better yep. healthy weight, all of that stuff. But I think though, in light of kind of this active grandparent hypothesis that potentially that additional exercise is really developing these protective mechanisms for them in terms of chronic disease. And that perhaps the greatest risk of kind of high volume, high level athletics is more orthopedic than mm. let's say cardiovascular, that maybe you're more likely to blow out your back or your knee, <laughs> which is not yep. great, but it's not necessarily this kind of damage in the sense of uh, cardiovascular risk or even, or even cancer risk. Mm -hmm. And I, I do think, again, there is a point at which it's excessive, you know, but we've got elderly members of the Hadza foraging for four to six hours a day, <laughs> which seems to be health protective. And so mm -hmm. I think on average, people, people need to be encouraged to exercise more. You know, there was a, there's a paper I'll put in the show notes that say 80% of Americans are insufficiently active. And so, again, I think just on average, pushing people to try to maintain these standards that they're put out there, at least 150 minutes of moderately vigorous activity a week, 75 minutes if you're doing truly vigorous activity a week, and two strength sessions a week are really good goals and should not be considered too much. And even if you go over that, you're, you're unlikely to be treading in the too much category. Interesting. Okay. So in the beginning, you mentioned that begrudgingly, I would say you mentioned that <laughs> exercise might be more important than nutrition. Can you unpack that just a little bit for us? Given everything we just talked about, kind of catch us back up to that idea. Yeah, I was thinking about this. I mean, I have a hard time thinking that nutrition for the Hadza or for any kind of pre-industrial culture is so optimized. Mm. Like foraging is hard. It's really weather dependent, mm. season dependent, geographic dependent. Like this idea that they're all just so plush with antioxidants, you know, all this worry that we worry about if we have enough supplementation and powdered greens and all this stuff and the, this diverse array of plant matter that I talk about to optimize our phytochemicals. Like the idea that they had this all the time around them to be so optimized on these levels is I think is is quite unlikely that that yeah. more than likely they were going through and go through many periods that they're just kind of getting by. They have mm -hmm. the adequate level of nutrition, not an over oversupply of nutrition, right? And that really it's exercise that might be preventing more of the health issues than their diet. Mm. Now of course we need a diet. You already mentioned it. We can't really ever pick between diet and exercise, right? <laughs> <Bro>. <laughs> we need both. Yes. We do yes. need vitamin A. <laughs> yep. We do need protein. Like we're not going to get around this, but I think it's just useful to think about exercise as a way to directly prevent chronic disease. That's not just sort of related to like, oh, keep the weight off or, mm -hmm. oh, perform better and run faster. I think that's sort of how exercise is relegated to that. There, re there really are probably these cellular mechanisms that are very preventative in terms of our chronic disease. Again, besides like kind of this, these weight goals we hear so much about. Very silly thing to think about. But, uh, you know, as you were talking, I was like, okay, how would I forage for four to six hours where I live? <laughs> and we have a ton of blueberry bushes all over. So I'd be like, I'd be eating a lot of blueberries. A lot of blueberries. <laughs> and we that also be collecting to point, them though. for your children, though, Patrick. <laughs> That's right. That's true. I would, I probably wouldn't get home with any of them. I would eat all of them before I got back into the, back oh, into the cave. But that kind of speaks to your point, though, is like there's the number of choices I would have theoretically would be. Mm 
pretty minimal. It's not, a, it's not, a, I don't have a grocery store's grocery worth store. of options within, you know, whatever, a couple hours of foraging from. So anyways, uh, that's totally. what popped in my head. Me totally. foraging for blueberries for six hours. <laughs> um, okay. This is fascinating. Anything else worth adding to this conversation before we wrap it up? Yeah. I mean, I guess this kind of goes against the grain of our whole kind of cultural message, right? Like retire, yeah. start to take it easy, golden years, kick mm-hmm. the feet up type of thing. Yeah. Right. I think it really speaks to more of the notion of like, use it or lose it that you kind of have to keep working. And that most good things seem to keep coming back to this idea of work, even our health. And we really can't get around that. And that modern medicine is amazing and that maybe it can expand our lifespan, our health span. And that, and that's great, but it might come back to like exercise is one of the best tools that we have. Hmm. Fascinating. Yeah. I'm going to think about that. Yeah. We've, we've been sold this idea that retirement is when you finally get to be selfish. Mm. Right. Like, ah, it's just for me now. I get to do whatever I want. I'm going to mm-hmm. go, whatever, go on a cruise. Pina coladas and hammocks. Pina, yeah. Pina coladas. <laughs> but that's the thing that kills us. <laughs> Might ultimately lead to yeah. some of this disparity between health span and lifespan. Is it always yeah. going to be the case in everybody? No, some diseases we can't prevent, but. Right. But yeah, it's interesting. Yep. All right, cool. Well, I'm going to send this to my parents. All right. Do it. Thank you, EC. Thank you, everybody out there for listening. Thank you for your ratings and your reviews. EC and I will be back for another episode of The Consistency Project next week. Hi, all. EC here. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the show. Thank you as well for all the support for the five-star ratings and the reviews and for telling your friends or family about the podcast that really does help the podcast grow. And if you want to get the most recent info from me and be up to date on all of my content, the best place for that is my email list. So you can subscribe at optimizemenutrition.com slash email. I send out emails weekly-ish, <laughs> and that's also the best place to get your question in the queue for Quick Bites episodes. So again, that's optimizemenutrition.com slash email, and there's also a link in the show notes.